That's right. Just keep spending. Just keep spending. That's the message of Finding Dory because this movie is making money. But it's also a great movie. Stay tuned as we talk about Finding Dory on Anatomy of Movie. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. 13 years since the first, the original Finding Nemo, we get its sequel, Finding Dory. Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And we have Stephanie Wenger. Hi. And Marissa, ironically, was 13 at the time of Finding Nemo. <laughs> I was. I was young, you guys. I am young. She's doubled her age since then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about this. All right. What a, you know, this, this movie is just hitting its mark with a lot of people. Unlike the first one, this one went from a, Finding Nemo was a G rating. This one's a PG. Dramatic. Yeah. Very, uh, very big shift in tone. Scary elements, maybe. That's right. Well, let's start with overall impressions. Why don't we start with you, Stephanie? What, do you, what did you think of Finding Dory? I loved the first one, Finding Nemo, and this really felt to me like they kept the same tone and kind of the mood of the first one, but brought in new elements and um, kind of introduced it to a whole new audience and, and made it appropriate for 2016. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was a humongous fan of Finding Nemo, which I think that movie just broke, like, records. And just for Disney, it really set the bar high for Disney Pixar as well. Um, So I was very excited to see this one so much that I saw this twice. Really excited. I loved it. I loved it. I think it was so super cute and really fun characters and memorable and a lot of fun moments that kind of had the same beats as the first one. So I really liked it. But I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Pixar has a good history of doing sequels in the right way. Uh, I, I think they they do it um, where the story doesn't repeat itself. Now, this one obviously is a little bit different. Where you know, just by the title of it, you know, finding you could imagine like a sequel could have been just the same characters, but in a completely different situation. Whereas this one, where you know. Um, in search of something much like the first one, and while there's certain elements that that repeat themselves, overall, you know, to me they feel completely different, um, you know, in, in a way, in a good way, right? And so I, I can I can appreciate that, and uh, yeah, I thought overall a very fun movie. That the nice part is people can enjoy. It's not just like unlike Minions, which was pretty much just for kids <laughs> and not as enjoyable by adults. This was. This is all around, you know, from kids to adults. Um, you can you can get something out of it. Agreed. So, uh, but why don't we go? But thirteen years in development, pretty much, uh, and that's, you know, at first Disney wanted to. They had every intention to make a sequel. Um, ironically, without Pixar's involvement, though. Right, because they hadn't acquired. Was it that they hadn't acquired Pixar yet? Correct. Um, yeah. yeah, and so mm-hmm. then it took them acquiring them to kind of bring Pixar back on board. Yeah, at the time, uh, it, they wanted to deal with Circle 7 animation, and Circle 7 was shut down um, without even having produced a film. So it's not like we can talk about, oh, Circle 7 did this and this. Like, there's, you know, there's basically no rec- record or recollection of Circle 7 <laughs> <laughs> as having ever existed. Um, and so eventually, you know, the things came about and uh, Disney and Pixar joined voices and we sort of get back on track um, for Finding Dory. Yeah, and Andrew Stanton, the director and writer, you know, the first one, um, it took him a while to develop a story for the second one too because going after Finding Nemo, he didn't immediately have another story. He it, it took him a few years, to, like about five to eight years to actually conceive a whole another brand new story to even think of even bringing back a sequel because originally he didn't really think about well, going in for a second one well i think it's tough with finding nemo it was literally like a character went away from his home nemo and then it was like a search for nemo and so how do you come up with something that's in that same vein but something different and what they did with this with finding dory it's much about finding herself as it as it is about like physically going somewhere new mm-hmm. and um, and like finding her family. So I thought that that was a fun twist on this idea of physically finding oneself versus internally. Yeah, the metaphor. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and we, you know, uh, we had, we, we stayed with Dory throughout and, and, and once they got separated, no point, 
The nice part was they. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're all within like striking distance, mm-hmm. but it was just. But in their terms, uh, you know, it was the most gigantic obstacle they ever had to overcome was to go from you know the outside ocean into this this water park, or not? Sorry, not water park. Aquarium. Uh, aquarium. Essentially an aquarium. It was uh, modeled after the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And mm-hmm. Pixar is up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, their main offices. Um, and I, uh, I definitely thought when I watched this movie, I was like, this feels like the Monterey Bay Aquarium from when I was a kid. And it was so funny to do the research for this and actually discover that that's what they had modeled that after. So you're like, every aquarium looks the same <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I was like, this feels really weird. And I was like, oh, because I think this is ab- absolutely modeled after an aquarium that I'm very familiar with. But it's, you know, so it's funny when like real life imitates art mm-hmm. or art imitates life more so. Agreed. Well, you got to draw your inspiration from somewhere and it makes sense. Like, you know, sometimes you go halfway across the, like when we talked about with Jungle Book, when they made, um, you know, their actual jungle for that movie they went deep into the jungle to make sure they had the right plates and so forth this yeah just just go down the street and take pictures of that (laughs) just go down to the beach yeah Yeah, why not you know that's a nice benefit well i think also uh in doing the research i noticed that they really didn't want it to be reminiscent of sea world with everything that's happened with blackfish so they really wanted to make it clear that it was an aquarium a rehabilitation center for animals not something else that has been so controversial controversial over yeah. the last yeah and I, I appreciate that um mm-hmm. you know we and th- they had a lot of fun with it too um obviously the scornia weaver <laughs> aspect yeah. of it all that that's what uh you know that that's how we're sort of introduced to it all and then mm-hmm. you know, it becomes this fun place rather than oh this is where you know the animals are kept captive in any way shape or form mm-hmm. um so that was that was great to see um let's see in terms of the development um, obviously, you know, even though this was in development, it was really Ellen DeGeneres who kind of led on that this was happening through, obviously, the platform or her own show. Yeah. And, you know, like throughout a lot of random episodes throughout uh, her syndication and whatnot, she would just say, hey, Finding Dory or like Finding Nemo never got a sequel, although all these other Disney movies have had them. But how come Finding Nemo, who's like the biggest Disney garnering, you know, gross um, mo- grossing movie how come that didn't get a sequel and then like throughout so there, there's a bunch of like random moments where she's talking and then they put it all together and then finally she announced it well, as you uh, we forgot to mention this fact the DVD alone of Finding Nemo made 937 million worldwide that's yeah. more than most movies make ever yeah insane I, I didn't realize that that's a huge Humanity. money maker for a company that yeah I mean, that's, almost a, that's almost a billion just in DVD sales. Yeah. That's insane. That did well. Yeah. For 2003? Wow. Yeah. What I was going to say with um, going back to Ellen was that um, she definitely, I think, randomly mentioned it on her show over the course of the last, I think it's been 10 years of her, her yeah. show. And then once this was announced, she pushed, uh, like, she did a huge push for Finding Dory. It was mentioned, the trailer debuted on her show. So mm-hmm. it was definitely something that she was pushing on her very own platform, which is ideal, I think, when you have a movie like this, to have a platform like that. Yeah. Because it feels organic, and, uh, you know, what, what you always get with these Pixar movies, I feel, is it's just the love of it, right? Everyone involved um, it has a ton of fun with it, and the fact that whether it's Ellen DeGeneres or Albert Brooks... And, and those guys, you know, you want them to return, but you also want them to want to return. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, the, the, again, unless, unless we're all fooled, I, I thought every one of them did a fantastic job and played it like they wanted to be back involved. Yeah. And I think it's good that Andrew Stanton, you know, the director and writer, that, like, granted, it took him a while. Uh, it took him, like, eight years to finally conceive another storyline that could garner be good enough to garner a sequel that i mean sometimes it's just a creative process 
And, and I'm glad that he loved the characters so much that he wanted to build a whole another story in kind of a different world, even though it's within the same universe, but like a, someone else's world that's completely different. I agree completely. I, um, yeah, if it, again, it, it's that they kept the tone or the mood of the first one and introduced so many new things about the story, as so many Pixar movies are, is a lot about finding yourself and connecting with your family and, and all these things that are themes that come up in a lot of, a lot of Pixar films. So mm-hmm. let's start, let's go, let's dive into the story, if you will, pun intended. Um, Let's talk about the protagonist, right? So we switch it from Nemo to, or sorry, the, the protagonist really in Finding Nemo is not Nemo, but it's it's Marlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, it becomes Dory, um, and she's the title character. And so it, <coughs> it's a little different this time around. What do you guys think of the shift and, you know, expectation-wise going into it and then what you got out of it? How is it different to the same? I, you know, like, I was very excited for Finding Dory because Dory was so well-established in the first one. There's such a lovable, positive, bubbly person, or bubbly character that everyone loved. And so to have a whole nother movie based on her alone would, like, that's, I think that's smart because she is such a good character to remember. It's going to be a fun, adventurous story to just follow. And so I was, I went in with high expectations because we all know she has the problem of forgetfulness and short-term memories. Like, how is she going to remember everything while she's going on this adventure? Are we going to have to forget things too? So I, I think it's just the ride that you know it's going to be crazy no matter who she encounters or where she goes. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I was cautiously optimistic about this movie. I loved the first one, but honestly, when I saw the trailers and commercials and everything that's been all over LA in the last month, I couldn't really get what the story was. I was like, okay, it's going to be surrounding Dory, but I, I wasn't sure, wasn't clear on, was it, you know, something about going back or what they were going to be telling. And I thought they did a great job in making her have this like forgetfulness, but it it didn't hinder everything about the story. It didn't become a roadblock. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that. And again, I, I, what I liked the main distance was that, uh, you know, they're not looking for, even though they are then eventually looking for Dory, it's more of her trying to find her parents. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they do get separated, like I said, they, they're all, you know, they're within, they can see where Dory is. Now it's just more about getting to Dory rather than finding Dory. Mm-hmm. And I also loved that you, within this um this aquarium, it was a whole cast of characters that we we got to meet that were all brand new. It wasn't rehashing every single character from the first one that we saw already. They kind of brought in a whole new group, and what a smart way to do it by having them all in the aquarium. Yeah, and the nice part, there was no, you know, evil thing necessarily. I know kind of at the beginning when when they get close to the aquarium, they have, you know, um, all the uh, the little creatures they're scared of, whatever that ended up being, I think the squid, right? Oh yeah, um, but, <laughs> but but apart from that, you know, there, there's nothing really scary. It's just more obstacles and challenges that they have to overcome, rather than like uh, you know pointing like the sharks, right? When they were mm-hmm. s- supposed to be scary, and so rather than dealing with that side of it, I like that it was just obstacles. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely, and I thought that um, it, it was also interesting to say like how like. You had everybody who was visiting the aquarium, and then that, and then these animals interacting with visitors. It added a whole new element, rather than just having it be like deep sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cool thing about this film is that it had more humans to interact with, mm-hmm. rather than like the first one only had about a handful, and it was just like the the creatures in in you know in the ocean, and then in the fish tank in the first one, and then this one was like they're actually. So the humans themselves become an obstacle for them as well, which I, I think is pretty fun. But that kind of goes with the you know what I mentioned earlier is that the the second film had kind of the same beats as the first one. Like the it's the next obstacle that they had to go to. It's like one thing that just stops them and they have to get around. Um, yeah. But it's fun because every encounter that they have. The octopus, as when you said human beings, the octopus um, avoiding, um, I think it was like... Being seen. Yeah, the aquarium worker and trying to get out to the main exhibit was pretty funny as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the octopus, uh, I enjoyed him very much. And, uh, you know, the reason why he has seven 
tentacles is, is because of the animation limitation. They couldn't figure out how to do eights, so then they eventually had to go back and only write in the fact that, oh, it has seven. Septopus. <laughs> Adorable. Um, so, you know, sometimes it works in that way. But I feel like it fit with the character, too. Like, it's somehow, like, the way um, Ed O'Neill from Modern Family played that character... Um, his voice. You were kind of like, yeah, he could have been through something tough. He probably would have said, like, <laughs> so it didn't feel totally like why would why it it they built it into a story in a great way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could have been another clever way of why Hank was so cranky all the time, or like he maybe he was incomplete and, and he wasn't happy with who he was and whatnot. So I I think it was. I think it was just a funny line that, like, oh, you're not really an octopus. But I, I don't think it hindered the character whatsoever because when we're watching him, he's so fun to watch moving around everywhere. Like, you wouldn't, you would completely forget the fact that he only had seven instead of eight. Yeah, I was at no point counting. Yeah. <laughs> I was good. I, I'm not going to do that. I feel like a kid watching this movie 100% would do that, though. Like, at some point, there there would be a kid if they didn't... On their didn't, fifth viewing, yes. Yeah, certainly. that didn't bring that up. Yeah, who bought the DVD <laughs> and was like, wait, there's only seven. So it's probably a smart move to incorporate that into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I like that because I thought he, to me, out of all, all the characters, was the most interesting, only because, obviously, Dory has her obstacles to overcome, but... But uh, where with her forgetfulness and all that, she's, she she always remains innocent. Mm-hmm. Whereas he represented a completely different opposite side to it of of almost um, just kind of over it, mm-hmm. you know, and jaded. Jade and, and and going to um where were they going? Cleveland. Cleveland yeah. <laughs> to celebrate the Cavaliers winning. Yeah. Um, you know that that represented a small bit of hope for him, but then through the the discovery of Dory and her innocence, you know, he kind of rekindled that within him as well. Yeah, I like that too. And I think that also it just shows that Dory literally rubbed off on on him because he was such a hard character and cranky, but, like, in the end he was more soft and gushy in the inside. Right, it felt like in some ways he had, and, like, there's no backstory that we learn really about him in the movie, but it felt like in some ways he lost his family or lost his friends, and she introduced him to a world where, like, he could have those things again, and so he softened over the course of the film. Although you could really have, a like, a whole backstory on him. Yeah, and the developers also said um, the reason why they had Hank be his type of character is because they wanted a a foil to Dory, who's so positive and optimistic and bubbly. It's like she needed someone to bounce off of who was completely opposite to make Dory be who she already was. So it made sense that Hank would be more cranky, less fun, I yeah. guess. He got it done. I, I loved his shape-shifting of the colors. That yeah. was really well done. Brilliant. Yeah, amazing. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um Let's see, you know, for me, the, the I thought for sure the sea lions would be more villainous, <laughs> but the fact that they weren't, yeah. and, uh, you know, they were just more goofy of like, oh, man, what were you dreaming about, lying on this rock? Yeah. <laughs> what a great dream. It was, I, you know, I got a lot of laughs out of the um, sea lions, too, because they were very territorial, and that was the only thing that would, like, give them motivation in life. That they are so lazy, but when it comes to their territory, they'll do anything. Um, Andrew Stanton, he said that, uh, you know, because they were doing research on um, that the sea lions were basically the equivalent of seagulls, that they're always predominant in that area. You see them all the time. And uh, so they wanted, oh, yeah, it makes sense that sea lions would always be laying around. You'd always see them. And but uh, but they became very territorial. So that's where the humor goes in with those they definitely had opportunities in this movie to make a true villain, if you will, and mm-hmm. and the sea lions could have been one. Definitely, um, Ty Burrell's character, um, who plays the other, like the whale, the beluga, the beluga whale. Um, it, like these were all things where I thought, ooh, could this be the person who takes Dory off her course? And no one really did. There were obstacles, but there wasn't a true like opposition to Dory in that way. 
Yeah, and each of the, I, the interesting part is that Dory, through this adventure, kind of inspired each and every one of them. You know, yes, she has a history, especially in the uh, the aquarium, if you will. She has a history with these, um, some of these characters, right? Especially um, her friend that she spoke whale well with. Destiny. Yeah, <laughs> Destiny. Amazing. Awesome. Um, <laughs> But but then eventually, um, when the beluga like picks up, you know, it gets the sonar and things like that, you know. So they're discovering their own sort of who they are through all this with the help of Dory, which I thought again was a quite a positive thing, especially for a kids' movie to be be able to put on display. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really smart that she helped them rediscover their towns, but then she uh, like all those characters helped the audience understand who Dory was and, like, how she found out the her swimming song from her parents. That the fact that she can read because she grew up in an aquarium around education and the fact that uh, she knows how to speak well. So, like, even those little tidbits that we learned in the first one, like, we actually learn how she learned them in this one. <laughs> yeah, I also thought that it was an interesting movie in that they can't do it alone. Like, that you need a team around you, you need friends, um, because she, like, Dory's very, uh, has a lot of perseverance, but then you have, you know, all these characters bring something else to the table, so for a kid's movie, I think that's a really important message, that, you know, you can do your best on your own, but, you know, it's better, you're stronger as a group. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, at, it comes out best right at the end, right? Um, certainly when you have the aquarium van mm-hmm. driving. And that to me was was a great sequence. I know you could have ended the movie a lot faster, but um, I did think the build up towards that. And then uh, Dory saying, hey, just trust me. And, and then <laughs> just taking a nosedive into the, um, the water. That was yeah. great. I thought, it, I thought it was so funny and just also something that was really unexpected because you have a, a truck going off into the ocean and then all these like it was like super crazy for a movie that felt very grounded in a lot of ways. But then you had an animal like driving a truck. It was just like kind of a perfect ending to uh, this this kind of film in a lot of ways. And the Big. beavers being so cute. Though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. those otters. They were adorable. Mm-hmm. Cuddle party. <laughs> or, or what was the snuggle party? That would stop traffic, by the way. <laughs> the only it's thing so I, didn't, I didn't understand, the only character that I was just kind of half confused on was about the, not the pelican, but what, the bird that helped them out. Oh, um, yeah. oh, yeah. Um, what are we? What are we calling it? The ones that the sea lions called into action. I know exactly, and they carried the bucket yeah. with. Oh my um, goodness! I just watched this too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. It was a little bit of a random character, but I think they just wanted it to be like if you Becky. Had, Becky, if you had Becky, Becky be perfect at flying and perfect, like that would take away one of the challenges of this. Like it, they had to work with Becky's kind of imperfections. But, it just, you know, I mean, that, it was just interesting to have to figure out, okay, how capable is she? Like, how trustworthy is she? All right. Because she gives no indication of, you know, like, sure, I can help or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas, like, if, if it was Dory in that situation, you would be like, okay, she doesn't have, she might not necessarily have the skill set, but you can buy her that she's going to put in the effort. Whereas <laughs> Becky, like, right. who is this? I think the funny thing with Becky, it shows that, like, she's no Nigel. Nigel would have helped them in GIF. Um, but also, Becky, it makes sense that, like, Becky would would hinder them a little bit or slow them down during this adventure. Because if it was someone else who was actually fully smart, I've, the movie would have been over. Because, like, find, uh, Nemo and Marlin would have already found Dory. So it's like, it makes sense that Becky had to kind of stop every once in a while just yeah. to keep the story going. I'm not sure that Becky was quote-unquote dumb as much as she just was, like, very distracted by her universe. Like, she was like, everything seemed to be distracting and, and wanting to go in 18 directions, and I don't know if that... I, it was a limitation of her eyesight. <laughs> That's well, because that was the whole thing. of yeah. like, you yeah. look her right in the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, she, yeah, it's true. But I, I didn't think it was necessarily dumb. It was just kind of in her own ADD. Uni- yeah, in her own universe in, in a lot of ways. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my only kind of character that I was like, oh, I'm slightly puzzled by you. <laughs> yeah. But we did get a few laughs out of her, so I'll give them that. <laughs> we certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing in terms of story that I thought 
you kind of mentioned it, Marissa. Again, the backstory of it all. I, I thought the pacing at which they released information and that how Dory was also able to kind of put it together came out really well. For example, right, going back to Hank, the whole, oh, you have three hearts. One for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, how do you know I have three hearts? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just know. Yeah. And then the fa- then it's reinforced by the fact, oh, she read it on the side. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. And I think this film did a great job of actually utilizing flashbacks because there have been so many t- television shows and movies that just overuse flashbacks. But I think the way that they did it was in a very smart, kind of non-linear way of Dory remembering all of her memories that slowly get us to the beginning of how she actually got lost. And I think it was very smart. And that's how like she remembered things. I agree with you. I also appreciated that the first 15, 20 minutes of the film, if you hadn't seen Finding Nemo, it was like an introduction for all the kids who may have missed Finding Nemo. It, it kind of gave you that story, pulled you up to where Finding Nemo was, and then got you to Finding Dory in a relatively quick way. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to like retell that story, but just introduced you to these characters and also gave you Baby Dory, the cutest oh, of all. The cutest. <laughs> that was just, like, that is one of the most adorably animated characters oh, I've ever for seen. Sure. Yeah. Like, to listen and to watch. Like, the, her big mm. eyes for the small little body. Like, it's so cute. Yeah, it's, it was really cute. But And then you kind of, when I heard it, though it was clearly not Ellen DeGeneres, and, and I was like, oh, when are we going to get Ellen? And, and that happened very rapidly in the film as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, you know, it's the the prequel part of this happened lightning fast. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good though because you got to remember a lot of kids are watching this and kids attention spans not that long, so <laughs> like Dory's in their own right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's good. There's a lesson, hey, you know, don't be ADD otherwise this can happen to you. Very true. But I did like the, you know, we did get the backstory of Dory and her parents and the fact that she has both parents. Thank you, Disney. Yeah. Um that I appreciated. Yeah, there was that moment in the film where, like, you know it's a Disney film. It's not going to end horribly, tragically. But they definitely went there for, I would say, a solid five, ten minutes. There was a moment where you were like, is she going to be able to find them? And, I, like, they were like, they're gone. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what does that mean in a Disney film? They can't actually be gone. And then they found a way to kind of loop the story around. But that was definitely one of the darker moments of Finding Dory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a sad beginning, too, because she didn't lose one. She lost both. So mm-hmm. that kind of hits you. And then yeah. there was that serious moment in the middle when she did get reunited with all those blue tangs in the tank and they're like oh no they're gone (laughs) yeah and uh, my immediate thought when they said they're gone is what could that possibly mean in a disney movie Mm because they're not hopefully killing off both of their parents that that would be terrible so what what does that mean and i thought they with the seashells what a nice tie-in and to have it all come back to that yeah i mean the the uh, a plus for these parents the fact that they every day that's all they did for years on end mm-hmm. yeah. um that's that's certainly something dedication yeah i mean yeah. that's just sweet yeah. if any parents do that for their kids that they lost yeah sure <laughs> imagine just putting up flyers where's my kid yeah well at least they you know put in the effort i i did like that shot though where um you know not to jump ahead but when Dory actually does reunite with her parents, and there's that shot with all the lions of the seashells saying, like, hey, they were very determined to find their their kid again. Yeah, I mean, seashells from every direction. Yeah, and just a web of shells. Yeah, and I love that you had these moments of, like, Dory going down and seeing the seashell that she remembered, I think it was the purple um, seashell, and you thought, oh, she's going to find, and it kept kind of, holding off till that moment of finally getting to see her parents and well-voiced also by the parents, I thought. I love Diane Keaton. Yeah. Diane Keaton and I think it was Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy, but, like, I love Diane Keaton. I've seen just about everything she's been in. She's amazing. Um, Indeed. What what other characters or plot lines did you guys enjoy that you guys want to talk about? Um, Oh, just to go back to Ty Burrell's character, I thought it was fun that Ed O'Neill and... Ty Burrell from Modern Family. They're both have small roles in this. And I think um, 
uh, Ty Burrell did an interview talking about that he did this for his kids, and I think that that's so often the case with Pixar films, is that they actors want to do something their kids can see, and so these are great choices, and I thought he did a great job with The Whale. Yeah, and the fun thing is, because Ty and Ed work together, that they actually didn't know those two, both of them, are casted in this movie. Mm-hmm. That like Because, you know, it's a lot of voice acting, and that's very an individual type of career. And uh, so they found out, I believe, at actually the D23 Expo when they both found out that they were both in this movie. Because <laughs> they didn't tell each other that, oh, hey, I'm casted in Finding Dory and I'm doing a voice, but no. Um, so it, it was fun for them to find out that both of them yeah. still work in this film. Yeah, and they, I mean, they obviously have the relationship with Disney and ABC. I mean, that's the tie-in, and it makes sense when mm-hmm. you think about it that way. The Modern Family film's right next to Ellen DeGeneres, so it makes yeah. sense, too. <laughs> yeah, Ellen's like, hey, come on in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're doing us some Finding Dory. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, another fun fact, uh, you know, just the success of all of it, Dory is the most liked character on uh, Facebook. Of any Disney or Pixar film, with twenty million likes, I believe that. I yeah, believe I mean, that. I believe that. I you think of all these characters and and who's kind of, ha- but like, is Mickey Mouse up there? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you would expect maybe Mickey Mouse right, could I, do something. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you entirely, but I think of like who's the Facebook generation, if you want to call it that, exactly. and it's definitely people who grew up with Finding Nemo. And also, Ellen DeGeneres has a huge following in and of herself, so like she kind of is tied to Dory in that way too. And yeah, to the Facebook generation, Walt Disney when he was when he was discovered, you know, and started like Facebook and social media wasn't around. Yeah. So, I don't think he was worried about Facebook. Yeah, no. no. Uh, well, they talk about that um, millennials are so precious with their childhoods, and this is definitely like Fuller House. And there's been all these reunions because. 20-somethings want them. And so Mm -hmm. to do this and bring it back 13 years later and have the success that it had kind of proves that that fact, I guess. It works. Yeah. Well, it also works. I mean, you know, we'll get into kind of the reception of all of it, but it works because this this one too, you know, uh, especially with the summer box office now, a lot of these sequels are like, oh, sequels aren't working or whatever. No, it's you also have to have a good sequel. You can't just have a sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. Uh, and so it, it it obviously helps when you have a very fantastic movie like this. Uh, all right, so let's, why don't we talk about Andrew um, and Angus, who also co-directed the movie, but we don't hear quite as much about him, unfortunately, no. as much as we do about Andrew. Um, who at this point has done all the Toy Stories, Bugs Life, Wally, Monsters Inc., and John Carter? Yes, unfortunately, John Carter was a big um, letdown for Disney. But I think it's great that Andrew Stanton, he's been part of Disney, um, you know, stories and legends for a long time now. And it makes sense that he would come back and do Finding Dory. Um, but he, I, what I liked about the story is that. Again, he had the passion, but the fact that he actually took his time to build a story and create a backstory for a character because a, a couple years ago he said he rewatched Finding Nemo after a few years of stepping away from it, and he wasn't satisfied with Dory's storyline. Mm-hmm. He thought there, there were a lot of plot holes, to the, and that gave him motivation to just like, okay, what are the reasons behind Dory's character like there was a lot of emotional elements already set up the fact that you know she's forgetful so maybe that causes a lot of abandonment issues with her um the fact that she wanders around doesn't really have a family so like there was emotional foundation but where what are the actual real um foundations to her backstory so so the the way it affected I mean we we saw it with not only Marlon but obviously then went back to the family is how it affected other people it's like you can't mm-hmm. take this you can't take Dory on a field trip you can't you know because mm-hmm. she's just gonna <laughs> go yeah. off and do this so she she's a uh, liability if, if yeah. you will but what was kind of what I loved about this story was that she was clearly not a liability to her own family and what you saw by the end of the film was that she wasn't a liability to like Nemo and all like they really started to understand the value in in Dory by the end of the film. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
Now, Marissa, you love the animation aspect of all of it. Um, so there's a quite a, you know, as as always happens, you know, mm-hmm. the Pixar is always advancing their technology and things like that. And this time around, they were able to do even more so. Yeah, and because, you know, the first one came out in 2003, 13 years of technology advanced, advanced so fast since then. Um, they had a, a lot of uh, technology technological breakthroughs in this one um one being the ris which is pretty much called render man that is a system that helped them with uh, reflections um in the lighting properties it, it pretty much helped develop like how light bounces off in natural in a more natural realistic way compared to the first one where they had to do rough reflections that didn't really pinpoint the exact facial reflection Say, um, for example, in the shark tank, uh, shark tank, um, in, in the actual tank, um, in the first one with all the gang there, that the reflections weren't as on point as they could have been, and glass surfaces. And yeah, especially for like, it's one thing to get lighting correct in, let's say, like a Toy Story, mm-hmm. where um, they're not in water, but <laughs> it takes on a whole different meaning when you're in water. Yeah. yeah. And it, it advanced a lot in this film, too, because there are glass surfaces everywhere going from tank to tank. And even the moment when Dory's in the first tank, when she meets Hank, from going from that tank to even the coffee pot. So a lot of glass reflections. So the RenderMan system helped with the lighting properties of that. Yeah, I mean, you think about just that you're animating the character and then you have this constant movement uh, like ripples and water and all of that happening at all times. And so any of these advancements that can help with that, it, it's going to be huge for, and just also a time saver for the animators, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that's why they obviously have to have story locked in because um, I haven't, I don't have an updated figure, but when Toy Story 3 came out, it took seven hours per frame mm-hmm. of animation to come out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's, for a movie, there's 24 frames in a second, so... <laughs> Taking, yeah, time. Do the math. That's 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 over a day certainly <laughs> for just one second of animation. Yeah, it's crazy. And this movie's an hour and forty minutes, give mm-hmm. or take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Also, the interesting thing about this film is that they had to recreate everything from scratch, which is crazy because you think a lot of it would be backed up. But again, that was thirteen years ago. And Andrew Stanton said he's like, unfortunately, that footage was it just isn't available anymore. So they had to re- literally recreate every single environment from scratch. And but there, they had another program called the Universal Scene Description, which helped them pretty much create an environment, but like copy essentially in layman's terms, like copy and paste, and they could just take elements and copy it faster than actually recreating every single element over and over and over again which and also that program helped them it allowed them to live render or frames live render at the same time so that helped with the rendering process unfortunately i didn't see this movie in 3d but i would also imagine that that added whole new elements that obviously 3d was not nearly as advanced i'm not sure if it was a thing 13 years ago to see the way 3D it is was now. around, but not as big. Yeah, I mean, it, Avatar really put it back on the map of like, here's what you can actually do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think having that whole um, element to it, a- adding that 3D, um, probably also made it different for the animators. I agree. You know, and the nice part is, you know, the reason why Avatar succeeded and it's 3d and and there's certain movies that succeed in their 3d is because you can control how it you know how it looks Mm -hmm. and with animation it's a lot easier to have that control Uh, so i did not see it in 3d i'd be curious to see i mean you know you can imagine it's good yeah oh yeah especially when you know the, the fact that it already looks so luscious in you know 2d and whatnot uh for anyone that did see it in 3d let's know you know, what you thought of it, but uh, I, I can't imagine it being a bad experience. No, there were definitely moments when I was watching it in 2D, like, um, I think there was glass breaking, and then maybe the octopus, like, jumping up against the what appeared to be the camera, um, up against the screen the opposite way, where you could imagine that in 3D being just even bigger and better. Yeah, I think a couple of shots probably would have been better for 3D experiences. Um, when 
Bailey and Destiny are doing the big jump into the ocean that's like right at the camera. And then when the truck is going over the edge and you have the whole slow motion of all the fish in the air, I think that would have probably been another one in 3D. That was pretty fun. Absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's fun is like animators in a sense become very much like researchers. I mean, the whole thing of it, you, you know, in that way, like if you're if you're just a curious person, um, then animation is, is certainly up your field of of uh, you know career options. That's all it is. Like, it's, yeah. unlike most, unlike a movie that you go out and film and you're a cinematographer, this to to have to recreate, um, you know, and then obviously you have the real life fish that you got to kind of put in there and, and whatnot. But at the same time, you also got to kind of create. A character version of what's actually alive to you know to draw an emotion from it i mean i was so impressed just to go back to what i was saying earlier that you were i was able to having been to the monterey bay aquarium and that's where they did the majority of the research for this to be able to sit there and see an animated film that reminds you of an actual place that's a huge just that alone without even getting into the details of the animals is so impressive like I was like, oh yeah, this kind of reminds me, and that that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows the time and effort and the passion that mm-hmm. goes into just filmmaking in, in and of itself and animating. Absolutely, indeed. So um, I can't wait. I I'm always very curious, like when when the DVDs come out and they really get into that stuff. Like you know that, that that's one of the things. I love talking about this, these movies when they're hot and fresh in the movie theater, mm-hmm. but it's the downside of doing it that way is we don't have the bonus behind the scenes stuff to really also get into. They keep that hidden for the DVD features. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's talk about the music. Um, you know, I thought, again, as always, music was very much on point for, for the Pixar movie. Yes, Thomas Newman. I mean, we've talked about him before on the Bridge of Spies, and he he's done a lot of uh, Disney movies. He he also did Wally with Andrew Stanton as well, and um, I, I think he, he's just really great. I mean, we heard a bit of the music at the beginning, but like, and I felt like the move the music during the most serious scenes is when I really it really stuck out to me, um, especially in the moment when Nemo and Marlon and Dory are in the pipes after she just kind of got lost and whatnot. And there was that serious moment where pretty much Marlon apologizes again. Because um, it, it got serious, but, like, I only felt the music at that. And I, I think he does a great job. He really, you know, enhances each emotion. Yeah, I think it's impressive when you can do something like Bridge of Spies and then move, and I think American Beauty is another one of his, um, You and then do something like Finding Nemo and have it all work. Like, his stuff is so flawlessly, it doesn't take away from the story, it really does add elements, and, and that's the best kind of music in, in any film. Absolutely, and, you know, to that point, like, part of it is uh, the strength of the movie, part of it is the recognition, okay, what works. So, so the fact that with Marlon Nemo, Nemo's been kind of pushing him of like, hey, you are responsible for this. You have to take responsibility. And, you know, we hit that beat throughout. And then when they meet, you know, the film knows, okay, this is this can be a quiet moment because we know what it's really about. Mm-hmm. And so as a composer, he knows, okay, I get what it's built up to. Now here's where we really hit it musically because dialogue-wise, we don't need to. Yeah. And uh, he also used an 83-piece orchestra for this film as a wow. one big orchestra wow yeah. um, it's disney <laughs> that's right um so um one of the things that's always fun before we fully talk about the promotion side of it let's uh let's talk piper the animated short as always before Adorable. the pixar movie the cutest the cutest not the just the sweetest film and also so impressive to tell that kind of story i, I didn't even realize it till like finding uh dory had started no words in that just music again great mm-hmm. use of music and a, a great story it will never be as the lava story but... <laughs> i love lava oh lava was so good so cute um the cool thing about piper because i you know when I first watched this, I wondered why they called it Piper, not knowing the fact that the actual bird is a sandpiper breed. 
Yeah. So I was like, okay, now I understand Piper. But the cool thing about this short was that it was actually just a... It started off as a technical um, t- um, trials, more so, for the programs. And they were just, like, using the programs to do technical elements here and there. And then... Uh, the, so the director, Alan Barallaro? Alan Barallaro. Um so he was the director, and he's worked on other Disney films as well for, for years. Um, so th- there was a lot of technical tests and stuff, and John Lasseter saw all these tests, and he was like, hey, this is a pretty cool concept. Let's actually kind of give it a story. Hence, there there wasn't really any words because it just became just these character developments. Then they were ch- they were trying out, like, the furs and lighting aspects of the water because, you know, technology advances so much but i liked it it was cute and it i think one of the best shots is when you know the bird gets swept away by the wave and then immediately smash cut to it being terrified it's like the biggest laugh in the theaters it's hysterical I, i agree with you i also thought it was sometimes these shorts they're always super fun with pixar but they don't always match perfectly to the film that they're before if that makes sense they're, they feel very different and this felt like a really nice pairing with Finding Dory yeah and um because Alan uh, the director he was at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Bay Aquarium doing you know research and he was on the beach every single day just studying birds and animals and stuff and that's where the, all the technical ch- tests went into so yeah it's within the same universe as yeah. Finding Dory yeah, it was a it was a nice little prelude, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's uh, always a great little story before the movie begins. <laughs> um, again, still not as good as Lava. And it's also it's also just the thing about conquering your fears. More so. Yeah, it was a great little message ahead of time, and kind of also it was conquering your fears, but also um, then almost turning around like. Because then no one else, while the other um, sandpipers weren't afraid to kind of do what what everyone was doing, um, he went above and beyond that. He used his skills of like, hey, you know what? Let me just keep my eyes open. And then like he was the one of like, hey, we got this, we got that. So um, you know, kind of going from zero to hero, if you will. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. gonna say like definitely he didn't let fear kind of overtake him. It, he became a leader, even even overcame the fears and became the leader of the group in, in so many ways, which was great. Absolutely. Yeah, and the bird, for because they were testing out feathers and whatnot, the, the actual Piper bird had four to seven million hand-sculpted hand furs feathers on that bird. That's wow. Ridiculous. That's quite a lot. I mean... Just a little thing, not... Including the other birds, but just the little heroine. I was going to say, so much animation went into because you saw the little hairs move and all of that. And like when the bird is wet, how different. It, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see all those details. It was an ex- I'm sure this will be applied to the next Jungle Book. Yeah. Oh. Not that that one wasn't already For good sure. looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But they also wanted the, the more the focus on the facial reactions of the birds rather than, you know, if it was human, you'd deal with hand and physical body language, but mm-hmm. they. Ex- wanted to show the expression through the eyes and the beaks. Like, how would they get a message across by using their anatomy of birds rather than humans? Anatomy of a bird. Anatomy. Anatomy. <laughs> like <laughs> using, a, series, using yeah. a beak like, to push something, you know. Um, absolutely. Um, all right, so in terms of the pr- promotion, um, these guys actually switched dates with The Good Dinosaur. That was slated to be in November, um, they they wanted to allow more production time for Finding Dory, so they switched it with the Good Dinosaur. Um, and they did, as usual for any Disney property, D D twenty three. D twenty three is where a lot of stuff happened. Yes, and I was at D twenty three, and it was really cool. Um, for the promotion of this film, we had uh, Andrew Stanton and Lindsay Collins, who was the co producer of this film. They came out and talked and. Again, got everybody excited. And Ellen DeGeneres showed up. Ty Burrell and Ed O'Neill showed up. And, um, you know, they helped promote this film. But they also showed a couple clips uh, at D23. They showed the scene where Dory first meets Hank in the tank. <laughs> totally fine. Um, and then uh, they also showed... Uh, I'm trying to remember the second scene that they showed. Oh, the, and they showed... 
um, Destiny reuniting with Dory. So that's kind of a spoiler. A little bit, but it, it was cool because they they prefaced it for the audience that uh, Destiny was an old time fan friend of Dory's, and that's how she knew how to speak well. But the fact that she was completely nearsighted, um, yeah, they they showed that clip. Interesting. Were Very you um, were you following it at the time too, Stephanie? Um, I think so. I I knew that this movie was like on the horizon. Um, I didn't know so much about the storyline itself. I I just knew that this. I was don't happening. think anyone did. Yeah, I was like I was pretty excited about the movie, but I remember D twenty three all of that information coming out. Um, now another thing that Stephanie I'm sure got excited about. Justin Bieber made a tweet to all of his eighty three um, million followers. I was super excited about this. Yeah, I just think it's interesting, um, just on a promotional sense, because uh, he's appeared so much on Ellen, and she was one of the first people to have him on with this latest album, and then uh, he tweeted, I believe on Wednesday, uh, about uh, about the movie, and it, 83 million followers, and it trended that night, um, so a really nice start to a big box office weekend for them. I think that's very smart, yeah. too, because, you know, Ellen... Justin Bieber has been on Ellen's show countless of times. Yeah. And, you know, they have a good working relationship, too. And I I think that's really good for him, the fact that, you know, he, he was gracious enough to get his followers to do that, too. Because his demographic is the same demographic that would be watching Finding Dory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think I, I think he'd be dumb not to help the movie out yeah. in yeah. some ways. You know why not? Again, I mean, it's it's hard not to get behind the movie like this. It's it's just such a sweet story, and it's it's something that I think whether you kind of started out saying this, but wh- whether you're my age, twenties, you're a parent, you're a kid, I think there's something to be appreciated in this film. Absolutely. Well, Pixar certainly appreciates its numbers. Ooh. This thing is uh, it, it broke the animation record previously held by shrek the third yep um so and you know i mean this this literally could be the number one summer blockbuster yeah do you think it'll be the number one movie of the year um money i mean so star wars was 2015 so i mean big juggernauts to go up against we have the Batman or Superman, like pretty yeah, much but all, that the, all the Marvel movies. Yeah, but those didn't, trust me, they're not doing as good. No. Yeah. They didn't um, open as well as this. I legitimately, this could be the the, the movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, year, I'm trying to think. In terms of money. What's coming out later this summer? Because it's going to be, I don't think anything so far this year will beat this number. So it so. would have to be something else to come and I like, don't here's the thing. You, you can't imagine this like it, it, it's going to have a drop but even if it has a 50% drop like that's still yeah. more than most movie like the fact that a couple weeks ago the number one movie barely made 30 something million yeah this will be alright I think yeah. it's also going to be um, rewatchable uh, kids if like parents are, have kids that are bored over the summer they're going to be able to bring them back to this movie. I, I think it's definitely a movie that will have huge DVD sales, but also... Um, yeah. yeah. Zootopia broke a billion this year, too. So that I think, But that's also another Disney property. So, I mean, Disney is pretty much competing with itself. Shoot. Yeah, and, you know, obviously Captain America is, is a big one. Um, but I think... This one has the like, even though that that's a four quadrant movie, I think this is equally a four quadrant movie. I really do. Could be. Yeah. Uh, Zootopia one point uh, or pretty much one billion. Uh, Captain America one point one billion. Wow. Yeah. So you know, um, but I think. But if you think about it, like both of those are technically Disney properties. Uh, I was going to say, actually, everything that we have up on the board, we're just having another number come up with Jungle Book, and all of them are Disney properties. So Disney will more than likely have the number one uh, movie in the box office in 2016. And even if we got Rogue One at the end of the year, that's that's Star Wars, which is Disney. So, yeah. Disney owns everything. <laughs> so far, I mean, it, it fluctuates. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Universal because they had uh, Pitch Perfect two, they had Fast yeah. and Furious, they had this and that. So it's you know, it's different. Yeah, it but I think 
I think 2016, it looks like Disney is going to have the big properties. I would agree with you. Unless, I mean, you never know. Ghostbusters, one of these movies, could pop pop out. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't care. It's not, it doesn't have the four quadrants, as you were saying. I don't even think it's about that. I just don't think, um, I I I don't think any, like, you know, whether it's Ghostbusters, um, Secret Life of Pets, like, I think that'll do well, but I don't think it's going to do as well as this. Yeah. Um, That's Illumination. Um, uh, Secret Life of Pets is Illumination. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, there's, I don't think any, nothing is going to beat this out. I don't think. And, and I think that's gonna be great. Tough. Especially for, yes, this is a sequel, but, it, you know, you always have the, the term sequelitis. That sequel usually doesn't do as as good as the first one but the fact it's been 13 years and it's been a little too long but long enough for people to really want it and really want to go see this film i think good for them yeah i think that this movie is an exception because of that 13 years you have people who saw it when they were kids um and are really excited about it now and then you have a whole new generation of kids who maybe not familiar with finding nemo maybe saw it at home and now get to go to the theaters to see this. So it's uh, it's definitely one of these movies that has a huge audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very, very high. Yeah. Definitely surpassing Certified Fresh. Yeah. Um, and they kind of summarize as funny, poignant, and thought-provoking. Finding Dory delivers a beautifully animated adventure that adds another entertaining chapter to its predecessor's classic story. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, I can't imagine what the complaint in this movie would be. There, there doesn't seem to be, at least in my mind, there's not one. I, don't know, I mean, you'd have to be like some sort of weirdo scientist to be like, this fish doesn't look 100% like it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I honestly don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I really think it hits on all cylinders. Uh, and again, unlike Minions, which you can consider fun for kids, mm-hmm. this, is equal, this is equally enjoyable to uh, adults. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and, and you know with with a cinema score of A that means word of mouth is going to be good. Um, I think there's genuine excitement about this movie, and you know with the exception of with the exception of Secret Life of Pets that comes out July eighth. Mm-hmm. So this has a good enough lead time. You know what I mean? It's it, it's got this weekend. It's got Fourth of July weekend. Um, you know, to, to rake in some money. And mo- most movies within the first two weeks rake in about 80% of what they're going to make. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah, so. That's what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, like, I was very excited to go see this film. I was asking everyone who came through the studio if they've seen it already, you know, or if they've seen it yet. And so I, I've been talking about it all week, and I'm excited to talk about it right now. But I, I definitely think it's a rewatchability factor as well. I saw this twice. And I think people will definitely be watching, and I think people who haven't seen it will go see it, even if they, and I've heard people who didn't see the first one, um, but I think they would, you know, really enjoy the second one. Not really having to watch the first one. You can easily understand what's going on. I mean, and they were so smart in doing that. That first ten minutes of this movie where they they kind of set up that story and, and made it so you didn't have to see Finding Nemo. That. The good news is they've always done that, you know. Yeah. I mean, you look at Toy Story, um, the fact that they're doing a fourth one. Mm-hmm. And to me, each of them, I, you know, they're fun to see in progression, but at no point you have to see any one of them. Like, if you saw three today without seeing one and two, yeah. you'd be okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, yeah. you know. Um, all right, so one of the last things we have to talk about, the post credit sequence. Yes. <laughs> Marissa, who went back just to complete the mission of seeing the post-credit sequence. I did, I did not see it, okay. so I can't talk about it. I'll have to it. preface this part, because uh, watching it the first time, I was like, where's the fish tank gang? You know, Because the first movie did so well in establishing very memorable characters that you just loved, and they all had their fun quirks, and you just remembered them, and they were awesome. And then when you go in to see the second one, a lot of them weren't there. You didn't have Nigel, you didn't have the fish tank gang, you didn't have Bruce and his friends, his shark friends, you know? There's so many characters that we didn't see. And I was like, where the heck are they? I wanted to see them. But apparently in the post-credits, those guys who were in the plastic bags, all the fish tanking, they found their way to Monterey Bay, California. Still stuck in their bags. But uh, just like when Finding Dory hit the, or when Dory hit the service and the people in the lifeboat 
like snatched her up to take her back to the quarantine. They did the same thing with the guys in the bags. They took them and took them to quarantine. So, but they are around. We saw them for two seconds, but they're still there. I wonder if that could mean another another movie to come. I, I would hope so. I was kind of just hoping that. Yes, we know that they were in the bags, but every time like Marlin and Nemo or even Dory when they were jumping all the fish tanks, I just wanted like one fish tank where all of them were there. It's like out of all those fish tanks, they could have been there, but alas, they were still stuck in their bags. It would be funny to have just like one of them just be, like yeah. show up and just be like, "How did you get here?" Uh, yeah, how did you get here? Oh, and but then I guess the question that would make the question of where did the rest of them go, which is probably not a question you want in the middle of that movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you guys, you know, if there was a third, um, which you know could happen, right? Maybe not for a few years. Hopefully, yeah. not thirteen years, but yeah. but could happen. What would you guys want to see? Would you guys want to see another kind of finding adventure, or just same characters living their lives? I, I mean, I kind of, kind of would maybe want the opposite. Like they're always going into the world of humans. What if humans went into their world and messed up their environment? Now you're like, talking free willy status. I, a little <laughs> bit, maybe. But hey, that that was a memorable movie too. Um, so like, how would they interact in with the humans in their environment? I think that would be fun. Yeah, I think um, somebody I read a review said that Hank is the new Dory of this movie. Like he fills that like fun role that Dory had in the in Finding Nemo, and so you would obviously think Finding Hank, but I don't think that that's actually what they're gonna do. I could see doing a story of the beluga whale and Bailey and. is it Destiny? Destiny. Yeah, like some sort of like buddy comedy with them and the rest of the characters. Something like that where it, it's a little bit different in tone, but still like the cast of characters are there. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting because, again, I I think it would be, people would think it's too preachy, I think, if it was humans entering their world. Hmm. You know, I don't know. That, that's what I could, I could see that being a big criticism going into it. Um, yeah, I mean, they have a tough decision to make. Do they make, again, do they make another Finding Something movie? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah, and who are you, what are you, find, like, who are you finding at that point? Yeah. Maybe not a movie, but maybe a series, a television series. You know, because there are so many fun characters that have their own individual stories and whatnot. If you had, they could be easily broken up episodically. And that fun. would be fun to watch. Uh, interesting. Um, well, we'll have to keep checking back in to see what they got. Any last final thoughts as we wrap Finding Dory up? Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, that I really enjoyed this movie. It's definitely worth going to check out. And I, I hope they do come up with a way of making an organic sequel. Like, this movie, it was 13 years in the making, which felt really too long of a time. But, um what the product that they created was kind of worth the wait and so if they do create another film i would want it to be something of this quality where would you place this in your disney pixar lineup Ooh, such a hard question um i really loved inside out so that's up there for me this mm-hmm. is definitely top five okay yeah is right. finding nemo top five finding nemo is top five finding nemo yeah. is my number one because we've, we've done Pixar in the past, and you guys know, just go back. Finding Nemo is literally my number one. I, w- I wouldn't place this as high as Finding Nemo, though, because I loved Finding Nemo. Um, although enjoyable, I would probably place this in my top ten, though. Um, oh. Definitely above Wally. Uh, okay. Toy Story 3, for me, will always be number one. Mm-hmm. It's always been... Um, and then, you know, I, I think this is up there. I mean, it's always tough. I, they're... It's um, it's an embarrassment of riches, if you will, on Pixar's part. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes the task very difficult. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, all, other movie studios, you could be like, okay, this is this is clearly number ten <laughs> on the list or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tough task. I mean, the way I I I, I hate top ten lists. I know they're very popular and, and they can get very conscious because people get heated about it and they can argue about it. To me, was it a good movie or was it not? To me, it was a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And that's all that needs to be said. It doesn't need a number. Yeah. Um, so I I enjoy a lot of films. I, well, I enjoy just one when I can have many. 
Um, anyway, thank you guys for watching us. Um, if you guys are return customers, as you will, thank you for returning. If you're brand new, welcome. Thank you for having listened to us. Hopefully, come back, check out our, our other stuff. Um, you know, we mentioned Jungle Book. We've done that, so check that out if you've seen that movie. Captain America was mentioned. We've done that movie. We've done all the Disney movies. Um, <laughs> indeed. Uh, the BFG movies. we've got coming up, so, so that'll be excited. fun. Uh, and Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon will be doing Secret Life of uh, Pets, so I'm very curious about that one. That, <laughs> that one uh, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, we did Inside Out. We've done The Good Dinosaur. So, And obviously those are just kind of the animated ones. We've certainly done uh, the gamut of movies. Bridge of Spies. We have done Bridge of Spies. We've done Bridge of Spies, absolutely. Um, So thank you guys. Also, if you're a very diehard Disney fan, we do have a show called Disney Movie News. They're fantastic hosts. They're uh, they're not us. It's not hosted by us, but um, trust me, check them out. They're great. Um, In the meantime, Stephanie, where can people uh, talk with you in the universe of the internet? Yes, at Stephanie Wanger on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, you can find me swimming at Serafini TV. <laughs> That's right. And let us know your guys' comments, thoughts, opinions on the movie. Um, what did you? Is there the toughest question of all? Is there any nitpick that you would have with this movie? Because it's very difficult to have one. Again, I can't think of one. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time, hopefully, on Anatomy of a Movie. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.